This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, everyone. I'm Father Graby, and this is the Breakfast Podcast. In this episode, we're going to get earthy and talk about bones, olives, and a whole lot more. One of the many wonderful things about Italy is, of course, the food. In America, we speak of Italian food, but food in Italy is a lot more regionalized. There are various dishes that are particular to different areas and cities. Pesto in Genoa, wild boar in Tuscany, carbonara in Rome. For most of Italy, though, it's almost impossible to sit down at a meal without the basic staples of wine, bread, and olive oil. Again, each region has their local variety of grape and style of bread, but these simple, fresh ingredients enhance the whole meal. I don't think it's a coincidence that there's a line in one of the Psalms that praises God for providing for our needs and prays that we may have wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. Wine and oil and bread. It's sort of a holy trinity of food. They are the basic staples not just of Italian cuisine, but of sustenance for much of the world. They involve the simplest things, wheat and olives and grapes. But they also make me think of the sacraments. We use olive oil to anoint the sick. The Mass requires bread and wine to become the body and blood of Christ. Talk about earthy. Jesus gives us himself as our food. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot have life within you. At the Last Supper, when he gave his disciples the gift of the Eucharist, Jesus didn't say, think about this. He said, do this. Eat this. He wanted to continue to have contact with us in the most physical and unexpected way. Another obvious example is water. It plays a huge role in some of the most important episodes of the Old Testament. Think of the flood with Noah's Ark or the Israelites crossing the Red Sea on their way out of slavery in Egypt and into the Promised Land. These cleansing waters, liberating waters, are prefigurements of baptism. The waters of baptism wash away our sins and allow us to enter the Promised Land of Heaven. God uses His own creation, in this case water, to be the channels of His grace. Does He need to do that? No, he can come and save us however he wants. But he chooses to come to us through water. Even more than that, he has chosen to be dependent on water. You can't baptize someone without it. This most common, ordinary substance is the matter we need to receive the saving grace of baptism. This dependence on matter, on stuff, continues all throughout the sacraments where Jesus continues to do all that he did during his life on earth, feeding, forgiving, cleansing, healing. And he does all of that through creatures, water and wine and bread and oil and people. But why? 
Why this reliance on material, physical things? The easiest explanation is that we're human. To be human means that we have both a body and a soul. We're both physical and spiritual. We're not like tables and chairs that are pure matter, nor are we like angels who are pure spirits. No, we're both. We have a physical body and we have a spiritual soul. We're familiar with language of souls going to heaven or hell, but we often forget the body part. Catholics believe that, at the end of the world, our bodies will be reunited with our souls for all eternity. Until that time, death is an odd intermediary state. Our souls are separated from our bodies in an unnatural way. It's literally an out-of-body experience. There's a constant threat in Christianity to downplay the material, to think that the soul is what really matters, and that our bodies are just halfway houses or prisons that contain the soul until death finally releases it. But that's not Catholicism at all. Whether we're saved in heaven or damned in hell, it's the whole person, body and soul, who goes there. That's why Catholics have always had a special respect for the body, even after death. To lots of people who aren't Catholic, and even to some who are, this focus on dead bodies is just one of those weird Catholic things. In many churches around Europe, you see the actual dead body of a saint, often elaborately dressed and decorated. Sometimes there's a wax mask placed over the face, but often not. We're not used to seeing so many skulls and bones, except on Halloween. And then, of course, there are relics. If you're not familiar with the term, at least in a Catholic sense, relics are part of a saint's body, a small piece of bone or a strand of hair or a scrap of clothing. They're kept in reliquaries, sort of ornate display cases, and brought out on certain occasions for people to venerate, to kiss or touch. Sure, it's earthy and physical, and to the eyes of the world it might all seem rather strange. But with the eyes of faith, it makes perfect sense. Because the saints are those who we know have made it. And so we venerate their mortal remains as a kind of promissory note. Their souls are in heaven, which means this body will be one day as well. And that should encourage us to make sure our bodies and souls get there also. In other words, it's not a fixation on death. It's a fixation on life. The comfort we feel with bodies and bones is part of the importance we give to material things in general. Catholicism is a religion of the senses, things we can touch and taste and hear and see. Think of those classic Catholic things, what we call the smells and bells. When you walk into a church, at least traditionally, all your senses are engaged. There's the smell of centuries of incense and beeswax, the sound of bells tinkling or tolling, people touching statues and kissing icons. This is why Catholic churches are, or should be, full of holy images, statues, and paintings. It's all part of this incarnational reality. In the early church, there was a heresy known as iconoclasm. It said that we should not depict God in works of art, much less venerate them. The iconoclasts went around destroying icons and statues and holy images, leaving churches sterile and whitewashed. The instinct of Catholics knew this was wrong. We live in a world that God created and called good. All of creation is caught up in the worship of God, 
and he uses it in his saving work. He even became man, taking on our flesh to redeem us from within. So we can depict God because he has depicted himself. He bridged the gap between heaven and earth, working in and through his own creation. This whole system of what we might call mediated grace finds a powerful expression in Mary. Devotion to Mary is another of those distinctly Catholic things. We could do a whole episode, really a whole season on Mary. I would just say here that what makes a lot of people uncomfortable with Mary are the same things that make people uncomfortable with the Church and her sacraments. Both are seen as unnecessary obstacles to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Why do I need to go through Mary? Why do I need to go through the Church? Well, here's the kicker. Because that's how Jesus comes to us. He didn't just appear on earth out of nowhere. He came through a mother, from whom he took real flesh and blood. He continues to come to us through his church, through his sacraments that continue his saving work. So Mary and the church are not hindrances to a relationship with Jesus. They're the only way to a relationship with Jesus. It's not on our terms. It's how he himself designed it. I often hear people say that they're spiritual, but not religious. They mean a lot of different things by that, but there's a fundamental problem. We can't be just spiritual because we're not spirits. We have bodies as well, and that physical element has to be included in the worship that we give God. That includes our voices, our gestures. We kneel and genuflect to show our lowliness before Almighty God. We bow our head at the name of Jesus as a sign of reverence and respect. We beat our breast, tap it really, when we admit our sinfulness during the Mass. All of this is the outward expression of our interior spirituality. We see this in lots of other ways. When we're really excited about something, we smile or walk and talk or drive faster. Our bodies are also part of how we worship God. We fast on certain days, depriving our bodies of food to remind us that God alone satisfies and nourishes us. The pang of physical hunger sharpens our spiritual hunger. A good example of this is the ancient practice of abstaining from meat on Fridays. It goes back to the earliest days of the church. There's a lot of confusion about this practice, which is why nowadays it has been almost completely abandoned. To many people, it seems like an arbitrary sacrifice and a weak penance. Why give up a hamburger just to have a lobster instead? But silly cliches like that miss the point entirely. Friday is the day when Jesus died. When we give up animal flesh, we remember that he gave up his flesh for the life of the world. We recall his words in the gospel, that unless we eat his flesh, we shall not have life. So just as every Sunday is for Catholics a mini Easter, when we celebrate the resurrection, so too is every Friday a mini Good Friday, when we commemorate his passion. What we eat or don't eat is part of the equation, part of how we relate to God and express our faith. It's not being just spiritual, it's being fully human. But we glorify God by more than menus. We do it also by our good works, the things we actually and physically do. And this includes the public worship of God. 
We're not isolated islands. We're part of a family of faith, and families need to come together. We physically go to God's house. It's making the effort that we make in any relationship to be with that person, to spend time together, to show that we're willing to sacrifice other activities and commitments because we value this time together. It's receiving Jesus in Holy Communion, a real physical contact that comes to us through His Church. Sometimes people who say they're not religious mean that they don't particularly like or have use for the institutional church. Institutions in general get a bad rap nowadays, and it's rather fashionable to reject and demean them. But the church is the family of God. It's all of us coming together, guided by those whom God has placed in positions of service, through whom Jesus himself teaches us and sanctifies us. Spirituality can never be a do-it-yourself project. As God says at the beginning of Genesis, it is not good for man to be alone. During the long lockdown at the height of the pandemic, my parish, like so many others, began live-streaming our masses. It was a way for people to stay connected under difficult circumstances. But I fear that, in our hyper-digital age, many people came to think that watching Mass online was basically the same as attending in person. In fact, for a lot of people, it was preferable. You get Mass on demand from the comfort of your own home, maybe with a cup of coffee or a mimosa. But while the live stream was making the best of an awful situation, there's no comparison. Watching a live stream is helpful and praiseworthy, but it needs to be said, it's not actually attending Mass any more than watching the Super Bowl is the same as attending the Super Bowl. Some of this confusion spilled over into other sacraments. I had multiple requests for confession over Zoom. Some people were confused about why this wasn't possible. I tried to explain that the sacraments involve real things, including a real encounter. Jesus doesn't come to us in a virtual way, but in a physical way. He literally took on our flesh, our humanity. He didn't have to. He could have saved us any way he wanted, but he chose to enter into his own creation so that we could see him, hear him, touch him. He got down into the mud, as it were, to lift us out of it. That made some people uncomfortable then, and it makes some people uncomfortable now. But that's nothing new. It's a big reason why Lucifer rebelled against God. He was the brightest and highest angel who could not accept that God would lower himself to become man. He refused to serve a God who would do that. That's why the devil has a particular hatred for Mary, because it's through her that the Son of God took his human nature and became man, able to die for our sins and bring us to heaven. He united God and man, the spiritual and the physical, heaven and earth. It's all part of God's plan, and we rejoice in the creation through which he continues to teach us and forgive us and cleanse us and feed us. We rejoice that he saved us body and soul, and we look forward to having them both forever in heaven. So yes, Catholicism is earthy, but it's not earthly. God uses the things of this world to bring us to the next. And that includes grain and wine and oil. They might be the simple background to an Italian meal, but they also nourish our soul 
and prepare us for the heavenly feast.